How many of you brought your Bibles this morning? Or your iPad, Bibles or whatever? Well, I forgot my Bible. Somewhere between the Kenai Grace Brethren Church and here, there is a blue Bible that I just open up and it flops to right where I want it to be. I'm going to be stuttering up here today because I have this substitute Bible, but don't you think this looks more like a preacher's Bible, black, you know? That's, that's how a preacher Bible ought to look. I have this uh, blue cover on my other Bible that's about umpteen years old that I took to a monastery in Oregon to have rebound about 15 years ago. Then I finally had to put that blue thing on it just to keep it together. But I'm lost without it. It's my pacifier, I guess, or my blankie. During my quiet time this week in my Blue Bible, I read Genesis chapter 22. It is the account of Abraham being asked by God to take his son Isaac, his beloved son, the son of promise, that God had given the promise that the whole world would be blessed through his seed. And he said he was to sacrifice this child on Mount Moriah. For Abraham, that was the ultimate litmus test. Life is filled with such tests. <clears throat> Will I be truthful when the, the person behind the counter gives me too much change? Will I be honest and give it back? Will I remain pure when the temptation is to do like everybody else is doing? Will I be responsible when it's just so much easier to take the, the low road? Will I stand for the Lord or just be quiet? These are kind, the kind of litmus tests that come into our life that don't create but expose what is inside us. Now there's another kind of test that we can use to test those things that come from without us, within. And it's that kind of a test that the Apostle John is addressing this morning. The ultimate litmus test when it comes to discerning truth and error. Those who are false and those who are just mistaken. This litmus test is found in 1 John chapter 4. Verse 1, by golly, it's in this Bible too. <laughs> Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are, <clears throat> whether they are of God. <clears throat> because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. But you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. 
Father, I thank you so very much that we can be secure and clear as to what is real and what is false. You have given us a test whereby we can examine truths or lies that are whispered into our ear, those that are shouted from pulpits or from the rooftops. I pray, Father, that we will be clear in our understanding of this text. And Father, we sang a song about having overcome. And the scripture tells us that by faith in Jesus Christ, we have already overcome the evil one. Because he who came in human flesh, God in human flesh, overcame the enemy, overcame the world. And we in him, Father, are overcomers. Nonetheless, we're to be discerning. We're to be wise. As we walk through the marketplace of life, rubbing shoulders with the world, Father, give us discernment. Give us understanding of your word this morning. And will you apply it to our heart? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Christianity differs from every other religion in that it's all about a relationship with the living God. This relationship is based upon faith in the Jesus that's revealed in Scripture, the biblical Jesus, the real historical Jesus, the historical Jesus Christ, Messiah, the one who is Lord sovereign, master, and savior. It's all about Jesus, beginning and end. Our faith in Jesus isn't some sort of blind faith. It is a reasonable faith because it is based upon trustworthy historical facts. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, And I guess I'm going to have to switch to one of those electronic Bibles. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former account, this is Luke speaking, who wrote the Gospel of Luke to one excellent Theophilus, writes this account of the early church, a history of Acts, to the same man, O Theophilus, The former account I made of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive raised from the dead after his suffering by many infallible proofs for 40 days Jesus walked and talked and ate with his disciples, observed by over 500 people at one time. The beginning verses of 1 John, John said, in contrast to the mystical teaching of the Gnostics, that Jesus was not real, he was just some kind of Christ figure, and you get this higher knowledge, you can have communion at a higher level, and this kind of fluffy Jesus. No, he was historical. He was real. In time, space, and history, we saw him. 
We heard him. Our hands actually touched him. And in John chapter 20, verse 28, when Jesus appeared to the disciples, um, doubting Thomas wasn't there. A week later, Thomas was, and Jesus appeared. And uh, Thomas had said, unless I put my finger in the fingerprints, or in the nail prints of his hands, put my hand in his side, I won't believe. And Jesus appeared to him and said, Thomas, and Thomas confessed, my Lord and my Savior. Over and over and over, Jesus authenticated so that our faith is founded upon historical facts. It's a reasonable faith. <clears throat> Christianity begins and ends with this Jesus, the one who is the Christ. It's all about who he is and what he has done for us. And that is why the enemy challenges the veracity and the historicity of Jesus and what he did. The Mormons will tell you about another Jesus, a Jesus who was created as the half-brother of Satan. And Jesus chose one way, Satan chose another, and because Jesus chose rightly, he ascended, he evolved to godhood. And you can too. You can become a god someday. That's the Jesus that the Mormons teach. Islam teaches a Jesus that didn't die on the cross. In fact, they teach a Jesus who never died at all. Thus, no atonement. He, he was ascended to heaven. He never died. It was Judas who died on that cross. That's another Jesus. And the Jehovah's Witnesses teach of a Jesus that was a, an angel, a created angel. And then the apostate church today just denies the basic claims of Christ without any basic given reason. And then, of course, there's the New Age philosophy today, a westernized version of Hinduism and Buddhism, which says that Jesus is one of the, the ascended masters. He was one of many prophets who came to show the way to God. There are many ways, and Jesus showed us one of them. So, God has given us a test whereby we can discern which is which, whose faults, who are maybe just mistaken. There is, and he gives us a caution to begin with. A, a caution to alert us. <clears throat> All through scripture, we, we are exhorted, believe, believe, believe. And here, don't believe. And it's in the emphatic, no, don't believe. In the literal translation there of, of that phrase. Do not believe what? Believe not every spirit. Behind every messenger or teaching that is contrary to the truth of God's word is a demonic spirit. I know many of you may not really think that's necessarily true. But scripture says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual beings of wickedness, demons. Ephesians 5.12, energizing all thought and teaching contrary to the truth regarding Jesus is demonically energized in one way or another. The word spirit here is used. 
You could put the word demon. Deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, all come as false prophets or teachers. So don't be looking for demons or spirits to cast out of people like there's a demon behind every bush or something. There is a spiritual warfare going on that is manifested through human beings on the surface uh, through the teaching that comes contrary to God. The spirit or demon and his lies will come through human agencies and most often disguised in religious trappings. Paul told the Ephesian elders to be aware of those who would, in sheep's clothing, as ravenous wolves would seek to destroy. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, Paul said, this should not be surprising to us because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, some of you this morning <clears throat> may not see that this is really much of an issue because you've walked with the Lord a long time. You've spent countless hundreds of hours in the scripture. You've come to a place of maturity where you discern truth and error just immediately. For others, this is critically urgent that you hear this message this morning. You may be new in Christ and you're hearing things and you're asking questions. At the Kenai Grace Church, there's a new believer in our Wednesday night small group that just hammers us with questions, question after question after question. She's only been a believer for a few weeks and she's heard or is hearing all these things and her discernment filter is not yet washed with the word. And she's trying to discern what's truth, what's right and what's wrong, what's truth and what's not. And this is the primary test that's given to us in Scripture whereby we can determine what is and what is not. So, with a caution to alert us, we have a command to arm us. But test the spirits, whether they have, they're of God. We can test. There is a, a method whereby we can actually test. Now, how is this, how does this happen? It's primarily, the primary resource is the Word of God. We just must be men and women of the Word, of the book. And more about that in a minute. But uh, I was brought up kind of short today, uh, this week, as I was thinking about this, that, you know, the last caution that God gave us in the entire Bible and the last page of the Bible, the last chapter of the book of Revelation, he warns that anybody that tampers with this book, that adds to it or takes away from it, his name will be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. What, the, what has Islam done? They've tampered with the book. What did the Mormons do? They sort of rewrote it. The Jehovah's Witness, they reinterpreted it or retranslated it. On and on and on. In order that they might have an authoritative basis to preach their nonsense. Now, why is this important? The reason behind it, because many false prophets, those who reputedly speak on behalf of God, have gone out 
are continuing to go out and always will go out, perfect tense, until Jesus comes. And Jesus said, and the Apostle Paul said, as the time of his return approaches, they will increase. And I believe we have come to that place in the ongoing history of planet Earth during this age of grace. How many young people do you know who have gone to college, who were then led astray by some high-sounding but God-denying foolishness by some academic Pied Piper? How many friends and or relatives do you know, do you have, who've been captured by a cult or a New Age philosophy? Man, I have some in my family. I think probably most of us do. In the last days, the Bible tells us that the masses will be swayed by a strong delusion. It is critically important in these last days before Jesus comes that we are, are who are his little begotten ones, his children, that we are savvy and discerning of what is truth and what is not. In fact, the delusion that is coming is so, so strong that the text says that even some of God's elect are almost swayed by the deception. John says, test them. So, what is the test? And it's not criteria, it's criterion, singular. There is a singular test, and it's by this test you can know the Spirit of God, a specific fixed standard. Before we look at it, I, one, one verse of Scripture I want to read to you, which is the accompanying verse here. In 1 Corinthians twelve three, we read this, Therefore... I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed or anything other than who he is. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Lordship of Jesus Christ is the central issue. Now what does it mean when confronting demonic teaching in a human form, how do you confront, how do you test, did Jesus come in the flesh? And I have learned, as I have used this many times, you must, you must define terms. Who is Jesus and what does it mean, Lord? Lord here, kurios, means ultimate, final authority. I acknowledge that Jesus is my Lord. He is the ultimate, final authority before whom I will stand one day in judgment and so will everybody else. All judgment has been given to the Son because He, of all of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, has the right because He paid the penalty of sin for those who paid their trust in him. So he has double as God and as Savior right to be the judge, and he will be the judge. That's what I mean by Lord. Do you confess, and that means to agree, say the same thing and agree to it, that Jesus is the final ultimate authority and that he came in human flesh. God the creator and the final judge 
who has self-existent, uncreated life, is Lord, and he became flesh and dwelt among men. Can you confess that? I've had experiences when I've used this test with human uh, human intermediaries who couldn't, who wouldn't. I remember uh, one such person uh, couldn't do it, but he came to church and sat right in the front row in Anchorage a number of years ago. And I was preaching a message like this, as clear and as factual as I just did. And he was so uneasy. He got up and left during the sermon. He couldn't handle it. He couldn't hear it. Others, through the years that I've used this test with, this was why so many Christians in Caesar's day were martyred. Caesar said, Caesar Caesar Curios, and the Christians said no, because Caesar meant he is the ultimate authority in the universe. He believed it. The Christians said no, Christos Caesar, Christ is Lord. And so many of them paid with their lives for having said that. It's still happening today. It still happened in Roseburg, Oregon just this week. I'm sure most of you are up in the news. Martyrs, martyrs here in America who gave their life because they would confess only that Jesus is Lord. He is Savior. This was, this is the fixed standard. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ, defining the terms, Jesus, creator, judge, savior, Christ, the the Messiah, the promised one throughout the entire Old Testament, has come in the flesh, defining the terms, Christ, God's Messiah, the sovereign Lord, the final judge, the creator of all life, confess or say that this Christ became flesh. Jesus is the eternal, uncreated Lord God man. This is the basis upon which this, is test, this test is made. Now, I'm not going to have you turn there. Uh, I'm going to basically, <clears throat> in three minutes, preach my sermon from Kenai Grace just a few minutes ago. I'm in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John. And in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John, at uh, the Pool of Bethesda, Jesus healed a paralytic man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. In the ninth verse of that text, it says he did that on the Sabbath. And of course, the self-righteous Pharisees uh, pounced on that. And in verse 16, it says they were out to get him to kill him. And Jesus responded because he had done this on the Sabbath. And Jesus responded by saying essentially that, yeah, I and the Father are one. And so they were really out to get him, not only for being a Sabbath breaker, but for being a blasphemer. Now, how did Jesus react to this? Did he say, oh, woe is me. I'd better better be real careful what I say here. Uh, 
you know, these people are not very tolerant, and that is the God of this age, tolerance. You don't dare be absolute in anything. And here as Christians, you know, we believe there's one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Uh, how do you get to heaven? Through Jesus. <clears throat> That's pretty exclusive, isn't it? The world today doesn't like to hear that. Well, Jesus was no different. And he responded by, by giving his own defense. And he said in verse 20, I am equal with God. In verse 21, I am the giver of life. Verse 22, I am the final judge. Verse 24, because I am the final judge, I determine man's destiny. And in verse 25, when it's all at the end of the day, <clears throat> I'm the one who raises people from the dead. Whoa. Jesus didn't back down an inch. I am equal with God. I am the giver of life. I am the final judge. And I determine man's destiny. And I will raise people from the dead. How do you like them apples? You know, he, he didn't say wishy-washy things. He just put it right out there. He didn't back down a bit. And the next verse 31 of that text <clears throat> says, My testimony is not true if it's just my testimony. The laws of evidence that these Pharisees, they, they, they were so much in love with themselves and with the Old, <clears throat> the Old Testament teaching of Moses that they would even formulate their sentences with the words of Moses as if they were their words. They spoke Moses-ese. Sort of. The, and in the Old Testament, the laws of evidence, any fact must be established with the testimony of two or three or more. In verse 31, Jesus is saying, my testimony is true, but it's not allowable as, as evidence without corroborating evidence. So, Jesus calls to his defense, to the witness stand, Five testimonies. God the Father, who bore testimony. At Jesus' birth, when Jesus was born, the angels came and announced who he was to the angels, or to the shepherds. At the baptism of Jesus, Jesus the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. At the Mount of Transfiguration, he did the same thing. And then the pens, the pens of the prophets from Genesis to Malachi, all spoke of Jesus. Then he calls John the Baptist. He was the lamp. I am the light. You were glad to listen to him as long as he was an eccentric out in the desert drawing a crowd. That was pretty cool. But then you listened to what he said and you threw him in a jail and he soon had his head cut off. But he speaks to this day when he spoke of me as the Lamb of God. And then, of course, the works of Jesus. You, were, you know about the water turned to wine, the nobleman's son being healed, here the paralytic and the other miracles. The works that I do are a testimony to who I am. Isaiah said, look for the one who does these things. That's who the Messiah will be. <coughs> and then the Old Testament scriptures. In verse 39 of chapter 5, he said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. In 1966, I was standing at Jacob's Well. And it has become kind of a, a tourist trap for the Samaritans, the 
descendants of the Samaritans, they had there at the well this uh, priestly-looking guy with a long white beard and a robe and the whole paraphernalia. And he had in his arms the Samaritan Pentateuch. <coughs> One of the ancient texts that you will see footnoted in your Bibles. And it's a great big thing with a wooden spool on both ends. And the, it was such a picture of they worshipped this scroll and had no clue what it said or it had any relevance to their lives. They just had possession of it. That's what Jesus was saying. You search the scriptures and you worship the fact that God brought scriptures through the Jewish people. And that's where it ends. You don't read what it says and do what it says. You don't believe what it says. But the scriptures speak of me throughout the Old Testament. One has said, you cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. The Lamb, the Lamb of God. And then there was this final test, and I just love this one. In verse 44, 45. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. And if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Man, Moses was their man. And Jesus puts it right in their face. You don't believe him. Your man, he's the one that wrote about me. All through the, the Pentateuch, the, the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible, Jesus over and over and over fulfilled in the New Testament, yet they would not believe. I have never seen it fail. Arm, you, arm yourself with the truth about who Jesus is. Use it whenever you are confronted by any, anyone with a message from God. I have a message from God. Test them. And what you will find, if it's, it sounds inaccurate, you will find some that will say yes to this test. And that tells me that they're not a false teacher. They're a mistaken teacher. Remember Apollos? He had to be taken aside and taught the full truth about who Jesus was. He wasn't a false teacher. He wasn't trying to lead people astray. He just didn't have all these facts together. He was a mistaken Christian. There's a lot of those around, by the way. The test validates those who are genuine and exposes those who are not. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Folks, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's not where the battle rages. It battles, rages in the heavenlies. It's a spiritual battle. You will be accused of being rigid when you say there's only one way, there's only one Lord. Well, that's intolerant. That's narrow-minded. Yes, it is. And you will be accused of causing division. Yes, but you won't be causing division 
you will just be exposing the reality that there is a division. And the issue truly is an issue of life and death. When Peter was before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, and in verse 12, he said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that is Jesus, the Christ who has come in the flesh. He didn't equivocate. He didn't back down. And shame on you and shame on me when we don't speak up when the opportunity is there and Christ is being blasphemed or minimized. We don't want to cause division. We just want to expose it and do so with a gracious spirit. We are taught in Scripture. This test will cause conflict. Count on it. You know it's supposed to? And that's good. And here's one of the reasons why. If we are not in conflict with the beliefs of Muslims, Mormons, Masons, and others who deny Christ, we're one with them. Same as. But if we are in conflict with the teaching, this assures us that we are truly his children. This is yet another of one of these things which assure us of our salvation, that we know that we have eternal life. When I come in conflict with a Mormon, a Mason, or a Muslim, it assures me. I can know that I have eternal life. Just another one of those things. And you look at the the chain of command here, uh, because he who is in you is greater than he, he was in the world. God, you, the world. We face the world in the authority and righteousness of God. We have overcome. Perfect tense. We have overcome. I know there's a lot of Christians out there trying to overcome. They need to read their Bible and discover that they've already overcome because in Christ, he overcame. And what is it that overcomes? 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, even our faith. Our relationship with Jesus Christ makes us overcomers. Therefore, resist the enemy in the faith. Peter said, Satan comes across as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him in the faith. This is the shield of faith. As we use this as an offensive weapon, the enemy is defeated. And again, in 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul said to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Therefore, be not ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. So many times we act as though we are ashamed. We need to be bold, graciously bold. And furthermore, In contrast, they are literally out of the world. Therefore, they speak out of the world. And the world hears or is responsive to them, not to us. The clearest in-your-face statement of the world's rejection of God's authority and its true values is found in the humanist 
manifesto. One short sentence, actually two sentences. Moral values derive their source from human experience. Moral values are revealed as absolutes from a holy God. When we believed that in America, things were going pretty good. Now, most people in America believe this. Ethics and morality is situational. And what is right is determined by autonomous self. Moral values derive their source from human experience. Ethics are autonomous and situational. Human life has meaning because we create and develop our futures. I'm sorry. My life, my human life has meaning because I was created in the image of God. And I am not an animal that will cease to exist when I die. My soul, my spirit will live on eternally. And in my case, in the presence of God. Because my faith has been placed in Jesus. What John is saying <clears throat> here is wake up. Stay awake. Be vigilant. Be sure of what you believe and why. And the source. You're going to need it as you go through the contingencies of life. Our text concludes <clears throat> a conclusion to confirm us. We are of God. He who know, knows God's affirms or is uh, responsive to. It's a personal affinity that we experience with others who love the truth, who love the God of truth, the one who is the truth, Jesus. And the consequence beyond that is by this we know that the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, kind of a personal authentication that comes as we employ this text, this test. In the end, I said at the beginning, it's all about Jesus. Why? Because there can be no Christianity without Christ. Pure and simple, it all comes back to who is Jesus. That's where it begins, and that's where it ends. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. <clears throat> I thank you for who he is, the full manifestation of who you are, for Jesus came to declare the Father, and that Jesus and the Father are one. I thank you, Heavenly Father, on bended knee and humble spirit, for the meaning and the significance that knowing Jesus has given me in this life. I thank you, Father, for the existence and the meaning and the purpose and the joy and the glory that will follow in your presence forever and forever. All because of Jesus. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who's still debating who is Jesus, who is he really, 
I would pray, Father, that the, re the Jesus revealed in Scripture would be understood so that one must either write him off as a liar or lunatic or as Lord of heaven and earth. And I would pray, Father, with that knowledge, it's not enough. One must bow the knee to that truth and receive personally, by faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is to know the forgiveness of sin and the eternal hope of salvation. And it's his name I pray, amen.